Well, Merry Christmas and good afternoon or good evening. It's hard to follow up all that cuteness, and now you just get stuck with me up here with a raspy voice. <clears throat> but if you bear with me, I'll try and get through my 60 pages here rather quickly, and uh, we can move on after that. Uh, the candle I'm going to talk about tonight is the candle of hope. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name is uh, Daniel Braithwaite. My beautiful wife, Linda, and my three children, we've been coming to the experience uh, for about a year and a half, almost two years now, and we love it here. They've uh, given us the opportunity, along with the Howell and Marcus, to be able to be part of the, uh, the Spanish ministry here. So on behalf of that, Feliz Navidad y Prospero Año Nuevo. Um, since some of my Spanish-speaking uh, community is here tonight, you will hear part of this in Spanish, so don't think that I'm speaking in tongue. Um, they do understand what I'm saying. <clears throat> the passage we're going to read out of today is Isaiah 9, and it's found in verse 2 through 7, and uh, it's in your notes handout if you want to follow along. Uh, the Spanish version will not be in your notes, and if you have a notes handout that only has it in Spanish, well, you're blessed. The Word of God says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time and as they rejoice when dividing the spoils. For you have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders, the staff of their oppressor, just as you did on the day of Midian. For the trampling boot of battle and the bloodied garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now and forever. The seal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. And at this point in time, the Assyrians have brought a great devastation to the Northern Empire. And however, the passage we just read prophesies the birth of the Messiah, and this fills the people with hope. It fills us with hope or light, as verse 2 states. Now, nowhere in the passage we read is the word hope mentioned or written. It is only implied. And the hope implied is the deliverance we see in verse 4, where the oppressive yoke will be shattered. Y la esperanza insinuada es la liberación que vemos en el versículo 4, donde el yugo opresivo será destrozado. Now, if I lost any of you there, that was Spanish. <laughs> and although this seemed like an impossibility as the Assyrians were the current world power, the writer reminds the reader of Midian. Y aunque esto parecía una imposibilidad porque los Asirios eran la actual potencia mundial, el, el autor les recuerda el evento de Madian. And the writer is referring to how Gideon, with his band of misfits, but more importantly, with the power of God, defeated the oppressive Midianites. For many years, I used to think that the word hope implied some type of weakness. Y por muchos años, yo pensé que la palabra esperanza implicaba debilidad. I would only use the word confidence instead of hope. There's nothing wrong with using the word confidence. Hope, when applied correctly, produces confidence. We trust and put our faith in the Lord and are confident that He is true and faithful. 
And I am confident that God is going to make good on his promises for me. And I am confident that God will give me the required ability, capability, wisdom, etc. to overcome whatever comes my way. And therefore, confidence cannot be bad. Or could it? I came to realize that confidence without hope can lead to arrogance. And confidence without hope will lead to pride. Confidence without hope can breed a sense of entitlement. So now instead of putting our hope in the Lord, we now think we rightfully deserve special treatment from him. Or we, right, we rightfully deserve anything that we ask him for. Then when things don't go our way, our now fleeting confidence leads us to anxiety. It leads us to bitterness. It leads us to panic. And it leads us to despair. And in the book, Growing Strong in the Seasons of Life, Charles Swindle tells a story about a missionary. She's sitting by her window when she receives a letter from home. And as she opened it, to her surprise, a crisp $10 bill falls out. And from her second story window, she can see a shabbily dressed stranger down below. And she could not get him off her mind. And thinking that he might be in greater despair than she is, she slipped the bill into an envelope and penned, don't despair. She threw it out the window and the stranger picked it up, read it, looked up, smiled, and went on his way. And the next day as she was about to leave the house, a knock came at the door and she found the same shabbily dressed man smiling and handed her a roll of bills. When she asked what they were for, he replied, that's the 60 bucks you won. Don't despair, paid five to one. So the moral of this story is if you ever find yourself at a racetrack, put your money on don't despair. Now all kidding aside, we don't condone gambling here at The Experience. But the moral of the story is that hope will not lead us into despair. Hope will lead us back to our stronghold. And Hebrews 6, 9 says that we have this hope as an anchor for our lives, safe and secure. And someone has said that we can live 40 days without food, eight days without water, four minutes without air, but only a few seconds without hope. This statement might ring true as we hear accounts of people adrift at sea or lost in the wilderness or trapped under rubble. And time after time, they recount that the only thing that kept them alive was their hope to be found. Now, hope can be defined as a feeling of trust, or hope can also be defined as a feeling of expectation and a desire for a certain thing to happen. In Hebrew, the word for hope is kewa, which can be translated into hope, or to wait, or to put our hope in. And as mentioned, I used to think hope was a weak word, but I've now realized that hope is a very strong word. Hope requires us to be humble, because only when we are humble can we recognize that we need him, that we need God. Only when we are humble do we cry out to God and depend entirely on him. And when we are humble, our hope or our faith in God can now flourish. Hope is what allowed Mary, a young virgin girl, to push on through and praise the Lord. La esperanza fue lo que permitió que María, la joven virgen, siguiera hacia adelante y alabara al Señor. Hope is what allowed Joseph to maintain his steadfast next to his bride. La esperanza permitió que José fuera tenaz y constante al lado de su desposada. Hope to see the newborn baby brought the shepherds to the manger. La esperanza de ver al bebé recién nacido trajo los pastores al pesebre. Hope to see the newborn king brought the wise men to Bethlehem. 
La esperanza de ver al rey recién nacido trajo a los magos a Belén. And our hope in God is what keeps us pushing through when all else has failed. Our hope in God is what keeps us pushing through when everyone has failed us. Our hope in God is what keeps us pushing through when a loved one dies. And our hope in God is the only thing that brings light to this world. When our hope is solidly grounded in Christ Jesus and we utterly depend wholly on him, can all the struggles and junk this world throws at us become bearable? I pose a question to you tonight. Where is your hope found? Déjeme hacerles una pregunta esta noche. ¿Dónde se encuentra tu esperanza? Is it found at the bottom of an empty bottle? ¿Se encuentra en el fondo de una botella? Is it your spouse? ¿Es tu cónyuge? Is it your children? ¿Son tus hijos? Is it found in your achievements or your education? ¿Se encuentran en tus logros o en tu educación? Is it in your bank account? ¿Es tu cuenta bancaria? Y'all didn't know you were getting a Spanish lesson tonight, did you? Is it in your relationships? I'm reminded of the story of a young adult, and many of you know this story. This young adult told their dad, give me what's rightfully mine, and went on to live as they pleased. He put his trust and hope on his money and relationships. And when he had spent every single penny, his friends abandoned him. He found himself tending to pigs and was contemplating eating what the pigs were eating because he had nothing left. It is then he realized that it would be much better back at his dad's house, even if it meant he would be a servant. So he headed back home and his dad restored him to his rightful place as his son. Now you and I, Christian or not, are not any different than this young man. You and I must make the same conscious decision We will either put our hope in temporal things or we will put our hope in God, our Heavenly Father. If you were here last week, Corey preached about Jesus being the light of the world. And believe me, it is no coincidence that today we read about the light that has dawned on those living in darkness. And our God is not a God of coincidence or chance. He is a God that deliberately wants us to return home to him. Today we celebrate the hope God gives you and I through the birth of Jesus. The birth of this precious child is the physical representation of the hope of the light offered by God the Father to us, his masterful creation, and reconcile us to him. If you've not done so today, today is a great day to place your trust, to place your hope in him. Merry Christmas. Feliz Navidad. Uh, Merry Christmas. How are you guys doing tonight? Doing all right? Sweet. I'm Corey Drake. I'm the student pastor here at the Experience Community Church. I don't only do announcements. I actually have another job here at the church. But I am given the candle of love tonight, and I will be reading from Philippians 2, 1 through 11. I'm just going to jump right into it. If you have your note sheet, you can follow along with that verse. And it goes like this. If then there is any encouragement in Christ... If any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by thinking the same way, having the same love, sharing the same feelings, focusing on one goal. Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Make your own attitude 
attitude that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And when he had, and when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now I have love, the word love, and this is a word that we toss around pretty loosely in our culture and in today's age, and we, we can love a lot of different things. But when I specifically read this portion, I like to put a word before love, and that's sacrificial. Sacrificial love is what I hear when I read this Philippian chunk right here. Sacrificial love, and that's the love that Jesus showed us. He sacrificed so much so that we could understand his love. Now, something I think that we may have lost in our culture, something that we may have stepped away from is this idea of sacrifice. What it means to give up things of ourselves so that others can benefit. And tonight, when I read this, when I study this, when I, when I was given this, I got this opportunity to really dig into what this means and I read about love. And then you read that Jesus, <laughs> when we study the Christmas story, Jesus came and was placed into a manger. Jesus was essentially homeless when he entered this world. He didn't come in on some crazy horse with, with an army of angels behind him or a sword in hand. He came down and was homeless with his mom and, and with his father, and they raised him. And it's funny, because if you really dive into the scripture, they actually lose him at one point, and they find him at 12, and he's teaching already. He's already begun his ministry, and he's teaching these men about who he is and what's to come. And then we see him grow and do these miraculous events and, and healing people and leading people and taking 12 disciples literally out of their own lives to follow this man because they believed so much in what he was about and what he was doing and this sacrifice that Jesus knew eventually he was going to have to make and these men committed their lives to him. And eventually these men go on to lead the church and then we see, we see Jesus give up his life, beaten, bloodied, bruised, hung on a cross with the most sacrificial, loving moment in all of history. He gives up his life so that we can experience life. And sometimes I think what we've done is that we've, we, we focus so much on what we need. We focus on the things that we have to get through. We focus on our day-to-day -day efforts. We focus on these things and we forget what it means to sacrifice for others. We forget what it, what it means to sacrifice our love, our, our things, our time, and, and give up the sacrificial love to others. Now, I didn't share this story with the five o'clock because the seven o'clock's kind of my favorite service. So I'm going to share this with you guys. My wife and I were at the mall the other day, and I don't know who goes to the mall anymore, but we were there getting some Christmas presents. And my wife, if you don't know her, she's one of the most kind women in the universe. I love this woman and she's an extrovert. I'm an introvert. You wouldn't believe it, but I very much so am. And she goes out of her way for everyone. And we were talking just a couple days before the shopping event. She was like, I'm going to make an effort that anytime we go out into public, I'm going to just ask people how their day's going. Okay. So we're in line. It's busy because it's literally like last week before Christmas is about to hit. People are buying all the last minute gifts. They're doing their thing. And my wife's in line and she walks up and there's this young girl, I think she was 19, and Callie just like, she's checking out, buying a few gifts or whatever, and 
she says, hey, how are you doing? And I kid you not, I'm standing over here like looking at some jeans or whatever, and, and I look over and I see this exchange happening, and this girl at the counter, tears just roll down her eyes. And literally all my wife asked her was, how are you doing? So Callie comes up to me, and they had like a 30-minute embrace, it felt like. And I kid you not, there's a line behind Callie. They're hugging they the girl behind the counter. They're having this moment. And Callie comes back over to me, and she's like, hey, we're going to go over to the Starbucks over here and get her a coffee. And I'm like, what just happened? Like, we were just shopping. Everybody's crying and hugging, and now we're going to Starbucks. Well, we go back, and my wife takes her a coffee. And I kid you not, they like hug for another hour and a half and talk to each other and have this moment. But I stopped and I'm reading this and that story came to my mind in the last service and I'm like, I need to share that with the seven o'clock because I was like, that's it. That's sacrificial love. Not to boast on my wife, but take that, that moment that she just took the time to ask, how was your day? And now they've exchanged phone numbers. This girl potentially has an opportunity to come to this church. In that moment, Christ's love was poured out of my wife into that other girl. That's sacrificial love. And something we've done in this culture is that we just check out we're behind the screens of our phone. We've, we've pixelated our friends and our family. And we stopped thinking about the fact that Jesus came down to this earth as a homeless baby, grew up, died for us so that we can have freedom. In that freedom, we take it. We don't hold on to it. We share it. That's the beauty of love. And we, we've just taken so much of our, our, ourselves and we think that that our time is more important than others and we think that our stuff is more important than others and, and all these things and we don't just stop and think, how can I love better? I should take my wife out on a date. I need, to, I need to call that friend and reconcile some things because we ended on bad terms. I may need to pick up my phone and call my dad or my mom and let them know that I care about them. Because when I read this stuff, we are not promised tomorrow, friends. C.S. Lewis says, Humility isn't thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. And that's what Philippians right here writes, that we've gotta stop thinking so much about things that we need or we need to do, and we need to think about what we can do for others. How can we love on others? And this is a, I read this like little quote to my students last Wednesday, and it says that Jesus is the most cosmic yet personal individual you will encounter. We serve a God that created the stars, the sky, the ocean, the trees, animals, us. He knows every hair on our head, every thought in our mind, every breath in our lung. Like, that's the God we serve. He is cosmic, yet he has all the time in the world to sit down and talk to you. He has all the love in the universe to pour into you. Sometimes we just need to step back and be like, all right, God, I trust you. I believe in this. Let's go change this world together. What are you gonna do this Christmas? We're just gonna sit by the tree, open up some presents, see you next year, December 25th. Are we gonna go love somebody? Are we gonna go love somebody sacrificially the way that Jesus sacrificed and loves us? I'm so, I'm so honored to stand on this stage. I'm so honored to be at this church. I've been loved by so many of you sacrificially and I hope that I can return the favor. But I really wanna press into you guys today that we can't just just say, hey, I love you, because we can love a cheeseburger, we can love a dog, we can love our video games, we can love Star Wars Rogue One, we can love these things, but do you love Jesus the way that he wants you to love him? So let's sacrifice. 
Let's give up our time. Let's give up our efforts. Let's give up some things so that other people can benefit from that. That's what Christmas is about. That's what Jesus is about. That's why he came so humbly into this world to serve, not to be served. And then I want to finish with this. Jesus, and, and it says in the Bible that you are his masterpiece, that, that we are the masterpiece of creation. We are, we are essentially the pinnacle of it. We are made in his image, the Imago Dei. We are made in God's image. So we need to take that and we have to share it. That's what Christmas is about. Thank you for letting me speak tonight. You guys have a Merry Christmas. Hi, good evening. Merry Christmas Eve. I'm Lori Grimes and I'm part of the ministry team here at The Experience where I serve as the Connection and Assimilation Coordinator. As part of my work, I'm super blessed to lead the hospitality team. I also get to take part in our wonderful one-on-one -on -one and small group discipleship. My husband, Billy, is one of the men who heads up the security team here. I think he does a pretty good job keeping you guys safe. We came here because our two kids, Alyssa and Will, were attending here. And this church and this community was transformational in changing their lives. And I embarrassed him earlier, so to continue the trend, this young man, Isaiah, was the one that reached out to my daughter when she was in a really dark place in her life. Literally found her in the corner crying and became her friend and showed her what it meant to truly follow Christ. And for that, I'm forever grateful. We also attend here with our precious three-year-old grandson, Jax. If you were here earlier, he was running around like a madman in the fellowship hall. But um, the third candle in the Advent wreath is the joy candle. We've already talked of hope and love, and now I get to share a little bit about joy. In lighting this candle, we remember how very good God is to us. He loves us so much that despite our frailty and our failings, our sins and our shortcomings, he has made a way back for us through the precious gift of his son. The God who knows us, who knows our thoughts, what's on our hearts, knows every single tear that falls on our face. The same God who scattered the stars across the skies comes with us with the promise of hope, peace, joy, and love. There are so many words that describe joy. Bliss, cheer, elation, glee, wonder, when we hear the word joy, we often think of lightheartedness, laughter, huge smiles. That is no doubt joy. But can I ask you to think about joy in a different way? Would you consider thinking of joy to mean steadfastness or enduring peace? That person who walks with such serenity and peace in the midst of heart and heartache. That person who resonates strength and resolve despite walking in absolute uncertainty. I have two friends, both of them are named Terry, both of them lead part of the hospitality team, who radiate joy, and they were the first people I thought of when I was asked to talk about this. This first person is my beautiful friend, Terry Basket, who's in the midst of battling cancer. Despite painful surgery and hard rounds of chemo, despite the uncertainty that is now a part of her every day, I never see her without her beautiful smile. But more than that smile, she radiates strength and peace in knowing that God is with her in the midst of all of this. When I look at Terry, I see a woman resting in God's promises 
And to me, her smile resonates joy as she seeks to be a blessing to others, even in the midst of her own storm. This is my precious friend, Terry Frazier. Mark and Terry Frazier were among our first friends here at the Experience Community. This Terry has a heart as big as her smile. And if you're anywhere within her gaze, that smile is going to shine on you. She's also just a crazy woman behind the coffee bar. Love her. But Terry has faced so much uncertainty regarding her son this past year. And even when her own hopes were not seeming to come to fruition, her countenance never wavered. She wears a necklace with the words, the wind and the rain still know his name. A constant reminder that God is faithful. And to me, I see this face and I see joy. Joy in the midst of a mama's worry about her son, not knowing what the future holds. Both of my Terry's know without a doubt the one who knows their future and has promised to be with them every step of the way. Christmas is such a joyous time of year. We sing songs about joy. We light candles representing joy. But for some of us, it can be difficult to find joy in the midst of all of life's hardship. It was three years ago about this time that I lost my mom. And it was 15 years ago on December 1st, 2001, that our lives changed forever. I got a call that day from my husband, Billy, who said he had just taken a bad fall while in SWAT training with the LAPD division he was the sergeant of. Billy said he was on the way to the hospital to get checked out, but he really didn't think it was too serious. Little did we know that one moment would lead to three major back surgeries, a couple of stents in his heart, near fatal heart attack, thankfully he didn't have one, he's still here, and the loss of the life we once knew. A comfortable life in a beautiful suburb of Los Angeles, two six-figure incomes, a beautiful home, a great church, and our family and friends. Our lives changed in that moment and we had a choice to make. Would our marriage fall apart as his first back surgeon warned us it would? Would the painful road that Billy began to walk on affect how he treated me and the kids? And I can tell you this with absolute certainty, in the 15 years that my husband has dealt with massive pain issues, he has never once lashed out at me or his children because of the pain. And for that, I'm grateful. I often refer to him as the best man I know, and I can say that with absolute certainty. He's a good, good man. With the certainty of this impending job loss and the eventual loss of our ability to live in California, tear apart our faith, I resolved from the beginning that was not to be the case. I clung to James 1, verses 2 and 3. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. I love that word, steadfastness. Resolutely or dutifully firm and unwavering. I wanted to be that. That was the picture in my mind, a picture of the one who makes known his name to the wind and to the rain, the one who knew that the trials before me would produce roots to my faith, roots that I never want to stop growing. We all live in the midst of hardship and suffering, and I have no doubt that some of you are sitting here with the heaviness of life weighing you down. You may not feel joy at all, especially in the season where we sing about it and we wish it to each other, but could I ask you to be open to the possibility of a different kind of joy, and that's a joy from heaven. Joy may be elusive, but it's never gone. Sometimes it just takes work to find it. If you find yourself in the midst of hard, will you try a couple of things? 
Will you turn to the one who knows you and loves you? Will you open up his love story, the Bible, to you and read the words that can bring you comfort and joy? Sometimes when I'm too weary to read, I simply listen. I will often fall asleep with the Psalms being read to me on my Bible app. Listen to worship music. Turn off the news, please, turn off the news. Serve, shameless plug here, but I, like I said earlier, I'm blessed to lead the hospitality team. So if you don't know a place to get started serving, we wanna welcome you to join us on that team. I promise you, you will find a small measure of joy sharing a smile with friends old and new as we simply welcome people into God's house. God wants his children to be joy-filled, but he's not interested in putting a temporary smile on your face. He offers you a joy, a deep-seated, heartfelt, steadfast, and strong sense of joy that can weather the most difficult of storms. Joy can be elusive. These last two weeks in the midst of the crazy business that is this season, I was having a hard time finding my own joy. God used my sweet young friend Mercedes to remind me of where my joy comes from. I will close with this text from her. Joy can come in many ways. You may not be joyful in a certain season, but you can still have joy in that time because you know that it's producing perseverance. Joy in the moment of trials is hard, but you can have joy for what you know will come because God is so faithful and you know he is growing you. Growth is not always pain-free, but your trust in the Lord is what keeps you pushing on because you know he does something good with everything that comes into our life. And you know your future joy will surpass the present pain. And then she told me, you should read James 1. I wish you tidings of comfort and joy this Christmas Eve. Merry Christmas. First I thought you were clapping for me and then I realized. Merry Christmas everyone. I wasn't saying that so you would clap for me. I'm just, never mind, I'm an idiot. Okay, the candle I've been asked to share on tonight is the candle that represents peace. I'll be reading from the book of Romans, chapter 15. Just one verse, and that is verse 13. And it says this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. This is the promise that we see in scriptures that when Jesus would come, when Jesus would take on the form of a human being through the miracle of the incarnation, that he would bring peace on earth, that he would be the prince of peace. We talked about it tonight, that his reign in the kingdom of God would usher in a reign of peace on earth earth. And so we hear that as we read the scriptures. We talk about that as we sing songs and as we see it on Christmas lights and Christmas cards. But then the reality of the world that we live in today seems like a far cry from the promises we see in scripture of Jesus bringing peace. If I were to take a poll of anybody in the room and I'd say, okay, let's talk about being alive in the world in the year 2016. Give me one word to describe what it felt like to be alive in the world in the year 2016. I, I highly doubt, if we've actually been paying attention to what's been going on in the world this year, that anyone would say peaceful. Right? We've seen terrorist attacks this year. We've seen a politi political and ideological instability and conflict. There's 
crises and wars being waged all over this world. And, and so that promise of peace on earth, if we're being honest, it's hard to reconcile with the reality that we live in. But not just that, not just peace on a global scale, but even peace for us personally. If we're being honest, for many of us in this room this evening, 2016 hasn't really been a year that we've felt a lot of peace on a personal level. Some of us are crippled by anxiety and worry and fear. Some of us have walked through some very intense struggles and battles. And when we talk about finding peace personally through the Prince of Peace, that is difficult to reconcile because of the storms that we are experiencing, maybe even right now. And so how do we find peace? And Jesus says is rightfully ours through him as the Prince of Peace. I think any of us can fall into that line of thinking where we somehow believe that peace is not possible given the circumstances we're walking in. This time last year, my wife was nine months pregnant. No man knew the hour nor the day that my son was coming. The doctor said January 6th, then they moved it back to December 23rd, and then they checked us in the hospital December 15th. They monitored us for 24 hours, and they sent her home, and they said, you guys can't go anywhere, you can't do anything, um, she can't work, you're on baby watch, right? And that was Christmas. And so my wife was doing just fine with it, kind of, as, as fine as you can do being nine months pregnant. Um, but this guy was a nervous wreck. I was horrified. I, I was so scared about what could possibly go wrong. I was scared about something that could happen to her. I was scared if he was going to be healthy. I was scared if I had what I needed to be cut out to be the dad that I wanted to be. And I was crippled by worry and anxiety and fear. And so when people started talking about it being the time of year where we reflect on peace on earth... I thought to myself, yeah, right. Peace on earth. I'll find peace once this baby gets here. Those of you who are parents, you're, you're, you're giggling because you know the reality is that if you're putting all of your hope and your stock on your circumstances to bring you peace, you will always live disappointed. Because the baby gets here, and what do you do? Man, when he starts sleeping through the night, then I'll have peace. And then he sleeps the night, and you go, ah! well, when he stops teething... That's when I'll have peace. And then when he gets old enough to where I'll stop worrying about him, then I'll find peace. And then on and on and on, we just keep moving it further and further back, don't we? And many of us fall into this line of thinking that we can never truly find peace in this life because we're hoping and putting all of our faith in our circumstances to provide for us peace. But the peace made available to us through Christ has absolutely nothing to do with our circumstances and has everything to do with his word. See, God first came to bring you peace through Jesus with God. That Jesus came so that you could be reconciled, so that I could be reconciled with God. That everybody in this room tonight, whether we admit it or not, that we're sinners both our choice and by our very nature, that because of our sins, we've separated ourselves from God and we live as enemies to God in our own sin. And then Jesus came and took all of our sin and all of our brokenness and all of our rebellion upon himself and made a way for us, not just to be in the presence of God, but then Jesus says, you can be friends of God. No longer do I call you enemies, I call you friends. 
And that through faith in Christ and trust in Christ, that friendship that you and I right now can enjoy with God is not something that is simply dependent on your circumstances. It transcends your circumstances because it's the sovereign decree and plan of a sovereign and holy God. But not only did Jesus come so that you and I might find peace with God, Jesus came so that you and I might find peace with ourselves. Something that's interesting about the account in Genesis of the very first sin is that after the man and the woman committed cosmic treason against God and did the one thing that God said they were not to do and essentially said, we will be our own gods. We don't need you. We don't need your word. We're smarter than you. We have this figured out apart from you. And they did what they did is that the scripture says they hid from God, that they felt shame that they tried to cover themselves up, that there was something in them that said being fully seen is terrifying because I'm naked. And they knew there was something broken. And we do that all the time, don't we? That we hide from each other, that we hide from God, that, that, that disconnect between the person that we really are and the person that we really want to be or we know we should be in that space where our insecurities and our inadequacies and our brokenness dwells is the space in which we try to cover up from the people around us. And some of us even try to hide that from God. But God came to Adam and Eve in the garden, and I love this. God himself made them coverings. God covered up their nakedness. It says that God came and he covered them up with skin and God fully saw Adam and Eve, all of their rebellion, all of their sin, all of their brokenness, and he could have wiped them out and started all over, but instead he loved them enough to make a sacrifice for them. That you're fully seen by God. That you're fully known by God and you're fully loved by God. And because of that, we can have peace with ourselves knowing I don't have to hide because he sees me and he loves me for who I am. And not only that, God sent Jesus so that we could have peace with God and peace with ourselves, but so we could have peace with the people around us. That if you know you have peace with God, it has nothing to do with your circumstances, whether you're having a good day or not a good day. You know you have peace with yourself, that you're fully seen by God, you're fully loved by God in spite of your brokenness, in spite of your insecurities. And that then frees you up to love the people around you. And that frees you up to be able to forgive them when they hurt you. See, so many of us put the people in our lives into positions that they were never intended to fill. We make a spouse into a practical savior when that spouse hurts or disappoints us. And we feel despair and anger because our expectations were set at a bar that they were never going to be able to fulfill. But when we have peace given to us from God, we can love the people around us without living in constant paranoia of being hurt or being alone. Because we know the one we've believed in, and we are persuaded that he is able to keep us in his hand. So God gives us that peace through Jesus Christ. This time last year, I had a song that I, I wore out, probably drove my wife nuts listening to it all the time. It was like, anytime I was having a bad day and just being neurotic, I would turn it on. It would kind of calm me down a little bit. It's an old Rich Mullen song. You may have heard it, maybe not. It's kind of corny, but it, it worked for me. So um, he, he sang, Hold Me, Jesus, because I'm shaking like a leaf. You have been king of my glory. I want you to be my prince of peace.
See, this time of year, we celebrate him as the coming king. And he is. He is that king that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. But it also says in his word that he's the prince of peace. And he's cosmic, almighty sovereign king of all the universe, but he's intensely personal. That in your life, he wants to be your prince of peace. He wants to rule and reign over your heart tonight and give you that peace that transcends your circumstances. A peace that is internal rather than a peace that is only dependent on your life circumstances and situations. That's my prayer for every one of us tonight. That we could find that peace that is rightly ours in Christ. And only then can we find peace on earth. God bless all you guys. I love all you guys more than I know how to tell you. Thank you so much for being such an incredible church that loves me and my family well. Merry Christmas. Peace be with you. How's everybody? Good, good. It's funny, I felt really carnal back there because Josh was saying, you know, he had this like December song and it was an old Rich Mullins song. I was thinking, my December song is Same Old Lang Syne by Dan Fogelberg. That's like my favorite. Met my old lover in a grocery store. Anyways, that song. Uh, my wife hates that song. And I bought it this year on iTunes <laughs> so I could listen to it when I go to bed, like the month of December. <laughs> and... Um, there it is, guys. We're just confessing, right? So, okay, all right. So every year I get the honor of, <laughs> I get the honor of, of getting to come up here and read probably one of the neatest passages in the entire Bible, and it's what Christmas is um, kind of wrapped around, this story of Jesus' birth. This is from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. It says this, and most of you know this, and um, even if people aren't believers, they, they've heard this story before. It's so famous. In those days... A decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and who was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him snugly in cloth and laid him down in a feeding trough, because there, there was no room for them at the lodging place. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock, and then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, "'Do not be afraid.'" For look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today, a Savior who is Messiah the Lord was born for you in the city of David. This will be the sign for you that you will find a baby wrapped snugly in cloth, lying in a feeding trough. And suddenly, there was a multitude of heavenly hosts with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to the people that he favors. Now, globally, right now, right now, all around the world right now, even if they acknowledge or don't acknowledge, I'm sorry, that this is about Jesus Christ, 
all around the world right now, people are, are, are celebrating Christmas Eve. Tomorrow they will celebrate Christmas Day. People will un you know, open up presents and families will get together and they'll eat all kinds of food and there will be celebrations and businesses will close and the world will kind of stop in celebration of Christmas. And this will go around all over the world. Now, if one reads the story of Christmas and you step back, you have to think, man, there must have been something pretty impressive about this kid, right? This isn't just, uh, as the world would say, a, a great prophet or an excellent teacher or a motivational speaker. Like the entire dynamics of culture around the entire world have changed because of this kid being born. So why is this such a big deal? If we're going to understand why this is a global phenomenon, why this is such a big deal, we have to ask ourselves, well, who is this Jesus kid, right? Who is this kid that was born, like, like Corey said, essentially homeless? They didn't have any place to go from a poor, kind of, you know, less than middle class working family from kind of a not great, great part of the region he was born in. Who is this kid? And what did he grow up to be that was so important? Well, the Bible's very clear. In fact, about 700 years before Jesus was born, a prophet named Isaiah kind of foreshadowed or prophesied, if you will, that's the biblical term, what kind of a big deal this kid was going to be. What was going to happen when this kid was born? This is what Isaiah said, and uh, uh, Daniel read this earlier. Isaiah said, for a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father and Prince of Peace. Wait a second. This isn't, just an, this isn't just a good teacher that's going to be born. This isn't just a motivational leader. This isn't just a social justice advocate that's going to be born. This is God in flesh that's going to come into the earth. And so we see the huge significance of what Jesus Christ is, who Jesus Christ is, his identity. And all throughout the Bible, this is what the Bible says about Jesus, his different titles. Not all of them because there's so many, but here's a snapshot. The Bible calls him the son of man the Christ, the Lord, Messiah, leader, savior, redeemer, faithful witness, firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings on earth. He's called the word, the way, the truth, the life, the light of the world, the bread of life, the door of the sheep and the good shepherd, a mediator of a new covenant, the deliverer, the author of life, the advocate, Emmanuel, which means God with us, the Son of God, the Holy One of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, the Lamb of God, Alpha and Omega, and the firstborn of all creation. This is Jesus. This is why this is a big deal. This is why we celebrate this. This is why it has become a global phenomenon, even if people don't even understand why it's become a global phenomenon. And so, Jesus took it upon himself to pick 12 men, right? We're going through the Gospel of John. Uh, uh, we've been going through it for a while, and we'll be in it until the middle of next year. And in the Gospel of John, it's a story of Jesus walking around with 12 men who were not the cream of the crop, but Jesus picked these men because he saw it in his wisdom to do so. And he leads these men, and he's discipling them. And at this one point in discipling these 12 men, he had just gotten into an argument with the Pharisees about his identity, which by the way, if you haven't been with us for John, that's all Jesus and the Pharisees argued about. Not about miracles, not about all these other, not theology and things like that. They argued about who is Jesus? Who are you? Who do you say you are? And he said he was God, right? And they hated him for that. And so the disciples had heard all the things that people said about Jesus 
They knew the Old Testament because they grew up hearing the stories of the Messiah that was going to come. And so one day Jesus looks at Peter. He's the leader of the 12, right? Jesus was a leader, but Peter was going to be a leader. He was grooming him up to be the leader, right? And Jesus looks at Peter and he says, hey, what do the people say about me? He knew, of course, because he's Jesus. But he asked him, what, what do the people say about me? And so Peter says, well, they say you're John the Baptist. They, they say you're one of the prophets. They, they, some of them don't like you, Jesus. Some of them say these different things about you. And then Jesus looks at Peter and he says, okay, what do you say? What do you say about me? And this is what Jesus always asks of anyone who decides to follow him. He looks at them and says, what do you think about me? Who am I to you? See, the disciples understood something that a lot of modern day Christians don't is that Jesus didn't come to preach a feel-good message. He did not. He was not a motivational speaker. That was not his thing. Jesus came to teach us the reality of human sin and the radical measures that God was going to have to take to eradicate human sin, to reconcile and heal the relationship between God and man. Jesus is indeed a great moral teacher, but he's much more than a moral teacher. He calls us to repent. He calls us to change, and he gives us the power to do so. He calls us to follow him. And the early church encapsulated their belief in Jesus by simply saying, Jesus is Lord. Who is he? He's Lord. Jesus is Lord. Or if we don't let him be, he is not. But the true believers believe the true Christians believe and they live like Jesus is exactly who he claimed to be, which brings us to the original question that Jesus asked Peter. Who do you think I am? I know what they say. I know what the word says. But Peter, what do you think? What do you think? What is our relationship? Who do you think I am? And our response to that question, our response, not Peter's, but our response has eternal ramifications eternal consequences, eternal importance. So I want to present to you a question. We know what the Bible says about Jesus, but who is he to you? Who is he to me? Who is he to our children and to our spouse? And who is he in our household? Who, who is he to us? Is he someone that we just simply call on when we're broke or when we're lonely or when we need something? Is he someone we just visit once a year? Is he someone that we only talk about when we're in times of need? Is he just a good moral teacher? Does he just have some good ideas on how to live life? Or is he the Lord of our lives? Is he the one we long to be with? Do we try to comprehend that God came to earth with a mission to save us from us? To save me from me? not just from the evils of the devil, but that I know that if, on, if I'm on my own, that I will self-destruct, that I will fall apart in Jesus and his love and in his grace came down and to save me from that. I know this time of year we enjoy family, we enjoy friends, and we enjoy community, and that is all great, we should. We should do those things. But we must remember that this time of year is not really about us. It's not about us, it's about him. It is about the king who has come, the king who has come, Jesus Christ. That's who it's about. And so, as we light these candles and we remember, just this symbolic thing, we remember that at the center of it all is Jesus.
at the center of it all is Jesus. We will have no peace. We will have no hope. We will have no love. We will have no joy. In a world that is scrambling to find it every single way they can, we will never find these things, truly find these things, until Jesus becomes the center of it all. It is about him. It is about him. I also want to tell you before we take communion, I want to tell you that there's no place I'd rather be on Christmas Eve than with you guys. I don't want to go into it because I do it every year, but I don't have a strong relationship with my family. And um, this church for the last almost eight years now, you guys have been brothers to me, sisters to me. You've been fathers and mothers to me. You've given to my wife and I, and you've helped us, and you've never, you've never let us go without. You've been so good to us, and I hope in some small way that we've been able to give something back to you as a church. And, and, and as the church has gotten bigger, I don't know all you guys anymore, and that's hard for me. It's hard for my wife. But I want to thank you so much for caring about us. And I want to thank you so much for stepping in and, and filling the gap in my life. It's meant the world to my wife and I, and it's meant the world to our staff and our team. And I love you guys so much. And from the bottom of my heart, my wife and I, you know, we just want to tell you Merry Christmas. I pray that you hug your family. I pray that you hug your kids. I pray that you don't become materialistic. I pray that it really resonates to you what we are celebrating and what has happened and what the Lord has done for us. And there's this gift that God gives us all the time, not just once a year, but this gift of salvation that is so readily available and it's free. And it's even here tonight. If we do not give our love, if we have not given ourselves to God, we have the opportunity to receive the gift of salvation tonight, to receive hope, to receive peace and joy and love. It's free. It's free. And that's available to us, the greatest gift ever, that God has given his only son, that if we believe in him, we will not die but have everlasting life. If you want, there's communion all the way around us, all the tables that have lamps on them. We do this every time we get together. And what we do is we remember the fact that God came to earth, died for us, resurrected and poured out his spirit on us. And there's communion available for all people who want it. You just have to ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins. It's funny, the only way we can take communion is if we benefit from the fact that God forgives us and purifies us. And then we get to remember what he's done for us. So I'm gonna pray. There'll be people up here to my left, your right. If you need prayer for anything, uh, you can have prayer. You can help yourself to communion. I hope you guys have a great Christmas tomorrow. And I hope you just keep in mind what's truly important. God, family, friends, not stuff, not stuff. You can replace stuff. You can't replace God, family, and friends. Those things are extremely important. Remember that, remember that. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, God, I love you. Father, I wanna pray right now for everyone in the room who may be struggling with loneliness. I wanna pray for everyone in the room, God, who may have suffered loss in 2016, the loss of a loved one. I wanna pray for everyone in this room, God, who maybe doesn't have a tight connection with their family. I pray, Lord, that we find our hope in you. Find that we, I pray that we find our peace and our joy and our love in you. I pray, God, that just like Lori said, that even with the trials of life and the tribulations of life and the confusion of life, I pray, God, that we can just be anchored in you, and if we can, we can have that joy. 
We can have that contentment. We can have all the things spoken about tonight if we will just be intimate, close, connected with you. Lord, thank you for your son that died. Thank you, God, that you would come into our earth, Lord God, that you would come into our daily life and you would come in in such a humble way, that you would live in such a humble way and you would die in such an extraordinary and and, and excruciating way, God, for our sin. We love you, Father. Thank you for the blood that you shed for us. Thank you for the body you gave for us. Thank you for the resurrection, Lord, and the Holy Spirit that you fill us up with, God. The greatest gift, the greatest gift. Oh, we love you, Jesus. And we thank you, God, for everything you've done. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. You guys are welcome to help yourself to communion, prayer. Please hug someone. Tell them you love them. Thank you guys so much.